Welcome to Out of the Blank. Welcome to another episode of Out of the Blank Podcast. You're with Michael. Michael, it's a pleasure to have you on the show. Can you please introduce yourself to everyone out there listening? My name is Michael W. Cook. I am a uh, Bigfoot researcher, author, and uh, historian in cryptozoology. Um, the the cryptozoologist name entails the ologist entails that we are doctors. We're not doctors. We're not experts of this stuff. But I am considered cryptozoologist. Um, I currently reside and have lived here most of my life in Kentucky. Uh, I live in Southeast Kentucky. Uh, it's there where I had a face-to-face encounter with one 20 years ago this October. I was 16 years old and one fell off a hill in front of me into a river. And um, it took about a year to, to come to terms with what I saw. And once I did, it catapulted me into the next 20 years um, doing what I'm doing now. Um, I was with uh, a very large Bigfoot organization for a uh, for for a amount of years, then uh, broke off and went on my own separate journey to find answers. And since then, I've I thought that I've, I've as soon as I think that I've got these answers pinned down and I know where I'm going to, something happens and it takes every bit of the data and the theories and everything that I've collected and throws it out the window. Um, 20 years ago, if you would ask me what I thought these things are, I would have said flesh and blood, undiscovered species of primate, nothing more, nothing less. And today I can honestly say that there's, that's, that's not the case. These, these are some sort of flesh and blood, but they are endowed with certain abilities that we are, um, that we are still trying to figure out. Um, you got you got to bring me to that level because right now the way I still think of it is that it's this other type of ape. It's flesh and blood. I think how you thought twenty years ago. But when you, I want to go to your experience, what you experienced and what you saw happen and everything that happened there. But I've heard one experience story about a Bigfoot before. It was a buddy of mine, and he did not come on the show to talk about that. But he talked about being in a trailer with his friend, and um, he's not like a BS type of guy. He's a straight shooter, and he says something hit this trailer, and it literally the whole trailer almost felt like it was going to tip to the side. They thought it was a bear, and they come out, and he had his dogs that were outside, and one of his dogs were split in half. And I don't know like how to verify that. I, I, obviously, he's telling me that, but he's never lied to me like something like that before. That's not something you just want to openly say out there into the world because people might just roll their eyes at you or something like that. So it made me start diving down the rabbit hole or kind of diving down and looking more into cryptozoology and other aspects. And I've had a couple of people on since then talk about it. But your experience, you said you saw something fall into the water. I, uh, I skipped school one day. This is October 2002. And- I couldn't tell you the exact date, but the the day of the month, but uh, it was early October, early to mid-October, and uh, I skipped school one day and went fishing. Um, there's a lake here in my in my hometown, 
very small lake, uh, good fishing though. So I went to the dam at first and fished for a little bit. And then I went on down toward the spillways and the river. And that morning I, you know, it was perfect. It was, it wasn't too cold. It wasn't too hot. It was, it was nice. Uh, here in Kentucky, we don't have, um, we have cold, cold times, but, um, they don't normally happen until about January, February, March. In fact, recent years, I've worn shorts and t-shirt on Christmas day. Um, it's just how it is. It's always been like that for us. So in October, the leaves are starting to change and, and the mornings you'll get frost. And that morning it, it hadn't frosted. Um, so I was standing there and I kept on hearing something move across the, over on the hill from me but i couldn't really see because the sun was coming up over the bridge and fog and everything it was you know it was just it was blinding you couldn't see anything but the silhouette of the mountain in front of you and you know at first i really truly thought that it was squirrels playing or a uh, a deer that at that time they had released elk back into the wild here and i hadn't seen one yet so i thought you know maybe maybe it's an elk and um you know, 20 years later, I still don't know if this thing took a wrong step, trip, slipped, lost its footing. It done something. And, you know, in a, in a matter of seconds, I heard this crashing coming down the hill. And it landed right in front of me into the river. Uh, the river was somewhere around, uh, I don't know, six, seven foot deep. And... Um, First, I thought I saw. Uh, first, I saw a large ball of hair. And I thought bear, automatically, you know, logically thinking. Um, I thought it was a bear, so I laid my fishing gear down. And I said, you know, if it's a bear and it comes out on my side, it's not going to be very happy. Uh, so when it stood up, I think then is when I realized subconsciously that what I was seeing was something I'd never witnessed before. But I was still trying to rationalize what I was seeing, my brain was, was trying to rationalize it. And um, it stood up and, you know, it, it had its back to me and it started walking across the, the water and got up on the bank, pulled itself up with a, a tree branch or something there, a five foot ledge. And it was standing there on two legs and I'm, I'm 50, 60 foot away from this thing at the time. And I'm, you know, I'm still trying to rationalize this. And it, um, it shook off, you know, it was just like you and I would. I mean, it was very human in nature. It shook off and, you know, it was grumbling about something and it would take its, uh, the hair on its arms, it would take its hands and just go like that and push all the water from the hair. And then it would, you know, beat up on this long hair pulling off its elbow and just wring it out, just wring it out like you would a dish rag. And, uh, I'm still trying to rationalize everything. So I'm thinking this is not anything I've ever saw. This is not a man. This is not a bear. Um, and, you know, you got to put yourself in my, my, my position at the time. Heart's beating out of my chest. I'm, I'm freaking out. I want to run, but I'm, I'm afraid to run. And I finally just stood there. And when it started to walk up the hill, I took a deep breath. And when I let my deep breath out, I went huh, like that. And when I did, it stopped. And you know, you get that old, 
oh shit moment where you know I, I should have vocally let that out and um it stopped it stood there for a second and it looked over his shoulder at me and then it that's when it squared up with me it, it turned around and um it squared up with me and we locked eyes you know, standing there, and I'm standing, standing on the other side of the river. And it would look at me, and then it would look down, and look back up at me, and then it had this look on its face like it was embarrassed. It was trying to figure out what to do next, kind of like I was. I was trying to figure out what do I do next. I didn't have a weapon on me. I had a fishing pole. I had a, I had a pocket knife. That was it. Uh, and it, it was almost like it energized itself. It took a deep breath, and you know, it looked like the breath, like it just breathed all the way up its body and it puffed its chest out and it let out these, oh, just demonic screams, guttural, just primal screams and grunts. And I finally figured out how to run. So I, I took off running, didn't look behind me because I knew this thing was right behind me. It jumped the river. It was right behind me. It was running after me. So I get to my car get in, lock the door. I'm looking around and I, I realized that it, it hadn't jumped the river. It hadn't followed me. It was already up in the woods. So I stood there, stood there, and I was sitting there, sitting there, sitting there, and I'm thinking, you know, okay, let's, let's, let's calm down and see what, you know, let's think about what this is. And, you know, not one time sitting there did I ever think Bigfoot, Sasquatch, anything like that. So I uh, started getting hot. And I rolled my window down, and I was, as soon as I rolled my window down, I heard this just up on the up on the ridge, and I said, "Oh my God!" So I rolled my window back up, and I just sat there shaking. I was scared to death. Uh, I don't know how long I sat there, probably thirty or forty-five minutes, and it just kept on kept on doing this thing up on the ridge, and finally it, it stopped. And after a few minutes, I did go down and get my fishing gear, got in my car, and left, and I. Had full intentions of coming home and telling my mom and dad what I saw. So when I get home, my dad says, Well, you done home so early. He goes, I'd skip school, you know. And I said, um, buddy, went fishing. He said, Well, did you do any good? I said, Dad, I got. And I look at him and then that, then it just, you know, I, I couldn't tell him. Because I was afraid he was going to call me crazy or, or tell me that I was lying. And um, so I said, no, man, I didn't do any good. And, and I kept it to myself for a year. And uh, close to a year later, my dad and I we were watching uh, Unsolved Mysteries. And, you know, normally that show, it went around uh, unsolved murders, uh, missing persons, stuff like that. But every now and then they would, they would throw a show on that had UFO encounters, abductions, Bigfoot, Loch Ness, stuff for, you know, people with different interests. And that particular night, they were showing Bigfoot. And they get, uh, they show the Patterson-Gimlin footage of 67. And, and when Patty turns her head and looks over at Roger and, and Bob, that was the same look that the one gave me a year prior to that and you know my dad says i turned white started shake i started sweating and shaking and he said what's wrong and i said 
I saw one of those. He said, where, when? And I told him the whole story, and then it dawned on me. He wouldn't call me crazy. He wouldn't call me a liar. And I said, Dad, you know, why, why, what, what do you know? And he said, well, they're out there. Um, I said, why wouldn't you ever tell me? And he said, well, would you ever went hunting or fishing or hiking or anything by yourself? And I said, no. He said, well, it's been easier on you not knowing. And, you know, I, this book I'm writing, I segue into that after the first intro of the book into uh, the burden of knowing. And it really truly is a burden uh, to, to some sort um, because you know that there is something out there that we, science, society can't explain yet. And I joined a very large group, uh, learned the ropes from them, and you know, here I am 20 years later. I've had four visual encounters with these creatures. I'd hate to even start to try to count how many audible or what we call class B encounters with them. I've had them. I've heard whoops and yells and screams and tree knocks and found footprints and you name it. But four visual encounters, um, 20 years. Well, I want to go. I want to go back to your first encounter because I want to hear about the other ones as well too. But it's when you experience something, and it's like, I mean, kudos for you for being able to talk about it as well too. For a lot of people, that's a difficult thing. I mean, I talk to people who, you know, have experienced UAP stuff, and that's a su subject we know our government's talking about now. So, like, that's a you know, that's a hundred percent flag up there for the the winning team on the UAP front. But that was labeled a conspiracy for so long. And it's like you don't want to believe something like that is true and then you experience it. And then it's like trying to get others to see what you have seen. It's a difficult thing to talk about. Like, I mean, for instance, when you mentioned this thing falling into the water, just like a giant ball of fur, you're thinking a bear. And then this thing stands up or this thing, you know, climbs itself up and you realize it's not a bear. I mean, you don't, you can't even categorize what it would be because your brain has never seen anything like that before. When I watched that uh, Gimlidge footage, it's. Like it's just difficult for even my brain to comprehend because I go, it looks like a person in a suit. And the only reason is I've never seen anything like that before because it moves so human-like. It moves just like, I mean, the sloshing of the arms, you know, the turnaround, the look. And it's just something that I haven't, I live in a beach town. I've never interacted with anything like that. Never even really been into the woods a whole lot. Even when we camp, there's like, what, like five trees around or something like that. There's never this thick forest. So it's a whole different area, but it's just, it's hard for your brain to compartmentalize what this thing is. And you try rationalizing to yourself, you know, was it this or was it that? Maybe I was just adding something. Well, with the Patterson Gimlin film, you know, up until 2018, I'd never been there. And a friend of mine and I, we went to, uh, we took a cross country Bigfoot trip. Um, and we found ourselves right there where that was, where that was filmed. And even the most diehard Bigfoot believer or knower, I think, still has a hard time, you know, putting. OK, let's put this in, in, into in, into context. So where this happened at, this is in northern California. You are roughly 45 miles away the crow flies north of a town called Willow Creek. Uh, you're about 25 miles west of a town called uh, Orleans, California. This is in Six Rivers National Forest. Uh, how Jeff and I got there, I called a buddy of mine. He owns the Bigfoot 
bookstore in Willow Creek, and he sent me this 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 picture of a written directions to get to this spot. Once you get there, you're still about two miles hiking down to where this happened at. Very rough rain. Um, so, logistically speaking, getting let, let's just let's for for the sake of 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 humoring people, let's just say that this was a person in a suit. The suit would weigh upwards to, we're going to say 150 to 170 pounds. That's what the suit would weigh. Um, you're about three miles up Bluff Creek from the main road. But like I said, you are still uh, 30 miles one way and 45 miles the other way from the nearest town. It would be, you would be packing it in on a horse. You'd be packing it in on, on, on in a backpack or whatever. Logistically speaking, I'm not saying it would be impossible, but it wouldn't be probable. It wouldn't be easy. Right. It would, it, uh, like I said, it wouldn't be impossible. It wouldn't be probable to do it. Now, that being said, for the past 55 years, this happened in, uh, on October 20th, 1967. For the past 55 years, you know, theories and, and, and rumors have spread and, and, and all that. Well, the, up until last year, most everybody I know and, and even the top researchers in the field said that Patty was somewhere between, uh, was exactly six foot seven. Um, but now you have LIDAR. You have, we have ways of, of, of really getting a bead on how size, how how big something really is. And they put a LIDAR in uh, Bluff Creek and there's one landmark there left from 67, it's, it's, a, it's a stump. So they LIDAR'd it and collectively they come up with anywhere from six foot two to six foot seven. Now, six foot two person is not, I mean, I'm five foot eight, I'm, I'm a very, short stocky person i'm i'm not i'm not a tall person at all but six foot two is a whole six inches taller than i am and um I, one of my best friends is six foot two even and he towers over me it's, it's, he's a big guy but say six foot seven basketball players you'll, you'll see a few people like that and for the most part we're all humans are between five foot seven and, and six foot two um the Patterson-Gimlin film, though, the way it moved. Let's go back to 1967. Let's get in our DeLorean and, and, and just, just zoom back. We've we got to hit 88 mile an hour. We'll never never kick the uh, flux capacitor in. So go back to 1967. Um, you know, Godzilla, King Kong. You know, those movies were out, mostly Westerns and, you know. But in, it was two years prior to the release of Planet of the Apes. 67, even though we don't want to really talk about our history, we were, we were not very feminist back then. We were racially um, skewed. So 
one of the key aspects of Patterson Gimlin film is the presence of uh, mammalian mammaries, which are breasts. And if it were a suit created for Hollywood, that would be on the lower end of what they would do. They would not, that, like I said, men were, males were leading roles in movies, even in the Planet of the Apes. I mean, you had Charlton Heston um, that was a leading role. The suits, though, if you, if you go back to the costumes of, of Planet of the Apes, very rigid. Uh, when they moved, they 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 weren't very fluid. They were very jerky with with their movements. And when they talked, and I'll get close to the camera here, when they talked, they did not articulate their mouths. When they moved their mouths, when they talked, they talked like this right here. Hardly any time did you see the 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 mouth move with uh, when it was when they were talking. They had large prosthetics that glued onto their faces. And when they talked, it would move, but it wouldn't move very fluidly. So if you put somebody in that suit, October of 1967, Northern California, logistically, like I said, it would be it would be difficult. But here's the thing. A lot of people don't understand, and, and I'm probably going to school you on this one myself, uh, yourself, but there are, so they were using a 33 millimeter camera. And there were four copies made. Three of the copies have been located and found. And every time you lay a copy down on the other, it clears the images up. And um, now we have digital ways to do this stuff. But the fact remains, there's one copy left that nobody knows where it's at. It's been lost for years. And um, but if they ever found it, it would be ultimately as clear as a digital copy that we could produce today. Bob Gimlin, let's just put this in perspective with the Patterson-Gimlin film. So you had Roger Patterson, who was dead broke. Um, John Green, a researcher out of uh, Canada, was in the Bluff Creek area. They had found footprints and was tracking these creatures. And there was something happened, and I still don't, to this day, don't know why John had to leave. I'll have to look that up. But he had to leave and he called Roger. Roger was a Bigfoot researcher. He had written a book uh, called Does the American Yeti Exist? And um, he calls calls up Roger and he says, hey, Roger, I got to leave. I got to go back to Canada. Uh, can you take over for me? And Roger says, well, yeah, I can I can do that. I, I'll have to get somebody to go with me. So Bob Gimlin, Robert Gimlin, he was a uh, hot tar roofer. In Yakima, Washington, and he he had a job he had to finish, you know. And he called Roger and, and Bob and knew each other from the rodeos and stuff. And um, because Bob was a rodeo cowboy and um, cattleman and all that stuff, so Roger calls Bob. Bob says, "Yeah, I got a couple of weeks left on this job, and then I can go." So they waited for a couple of weeks. And they went out to Northern California, and they you know it wasn't until the last day that they got the footage. They were leaving the very next day to come home. And that's when they got the footage. Roger and Bob had no money. They had no um, no means to buy something like that if it was, uh, per, if it was produced by a uh, studio or whatever. But, the, but and we get to that point. So studio, um, special effects makeup artists and stuff, 
I take their word over a lot of people's words because they know these things. They create, you know, movie man magic, movie monsters for a living. And every single special effects artist that's ever analyzed the Patterson Gimlin footage says no. That we couldn't do that. Even in today's standards, they would have to use CGI and stuff. Um, look at your anatomy. And, and I'm going with what special effects artists say too. The anatomy of the Patterson Gimlin Bigfoot, which we refer to as Patty, um, you can see muscles moving under the under the skin. She has a uh, old injury on her hip where her muscle is flexing and, and going in and out. Uh, the way her head moves, go back to the Planet of the Apes. When they went, very rarely did they do this number. They, they, they couldn't articulate their, their necks in those costumes they made for the Planet of the Apes. Whenever they would turn, they would full shoulder turn, just like that. It was very hard to move their heads separately from their, from their shoulders. Uh, Patty does it with, with ease. She does it very fluidly. She looks over her shoulder just like that. And when she does, if you look, you have to sit down and watch this stuff for hours and drive yourself crazy with it. But when you look at Patty, you slow it down. When she turns her neck, you can see her traps uh, flex. It's there. Yeah. And what I saw that day is there. Eight foot tall. 400 to 450 pounds. Um, they're there, and and you have to you have to look at you have to look at every single angle, and that's what pisses me off about non-believers and skeptics. They only want to look at an, at one angle. It was in California, and they're they. I've heard this a thousand times. By the way, it's in California near Hollywood. No, no, you you're wrong. It's about seven hours north of Hollywood, above the above the Napa Valley in, in Northern California. Um, I can share your frustration with the skeptics. I've had some of the big ones on my show before, and I don't like the whole debunking thing. It's just like, I don't know. It's like, that's their goal, I guess. They feel like they're winning when they feel like they can debunk something, but necessarily they don't pick the easiest things, or they do pick the easiest things to debunk. They never really go full into the details on things, but if this is in Northern California, when that's happening, then are we talking about when you saw, so you're, so Bigfoot, we, we label Bigfoot as one, basically. So there's, it's, it's more than just one. No, we're talking about a species. Um, that would be, I swear to God, I used this in a conference a while back. I, I speak at conferences and I said, oh, that would be like Kevin. Okay. We got Kevin here. Kevin's the only Kevin. There's no more Kevins. There, there's no more Kevins, just Kevin, you know. Holy crap, I saw Kevin. You know, which Kevin were you talking about? <laughs> um, no, there this is a species. It is a uh a variation, variational species. So you have different variations of these creatures. The eastern Bigfoot and the western Bigfoot. The the color variations are different, the size. The size variations are different. The uh, demeanor, the personalities, the attitudes, whatever you want to call them, are different. Here in the here in the eastern United States, we tend to 
come in contact with territorial, sometimes it gets aggressive. Uh, in the western part there, a lot, of, a lot of Native American tribes call them the watchers, mainly because that's what they do. They watch, they observe. Uh, very rarely do they engage. Uh, and I, I would think, you know, even even a teddy bear could probably tear you up if you if you got if you got it riled up enough. But yeah, they're variations. And yes, I'd also compare it to the Loch Ness monster, where over the recent years I've discounted the Loch Ness monster. I, I it, it was you know tongue in cheek. It was laughable, but today there could be something to it. There's been too many, too many sightings. As a researcher of the sorts, I can't discount it and be a credible researcher. I think there is a lot that goes on with Loch Ness that, that can be explained. I think that since it's so popular, uh, uh, a higher than normal wave could trigger somebody to say, oh, I saw a monster. But when it comes to Bigfoot, um, the thing about Bigfoot is it has been uh, there have been stories out of every single continent on the United on the world, um, with the exception of Antarctica. That's every continent has their own version of these creatures, and you have to believe these people. You have to, you know. I'm not. I, I'll, I'll never try to convince anybody that these things exist. I will lay out my data. I will lay out my research, and I'll. I'll let you decide what you what you want to believe after that, but I have no reason to lie about it. And and half these people that 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 come forward with encounters and sightings, they don't have a reason either. Um, it's just yeah, there there's something to it. Now, you, I know that for a fact. When you mentioned the eastern and western variations, and you mentioned a couple things like the demeanor, the color. Um, the personality could you explain a little bit more about those like because I, I i've read accounts from the yeti and like i said i reached when i reached out to you i came across someone told me to look into teddy roosevelt and that's when i came across that teddy roosevelt had wrote about some type of creature never really called it a bigfoot or a sasquatch but just described its exact features or similar features to that and i started going okay well we look at the the footage the film everyone knows of this creature walking the weird thing to me is that besides like a show, like a cryptid show or something like that, that does, because there's a, a large part of our culture that is interested in this type of stuff, but I haven't seen a government investigation. I haven't seen like a bunch of stuff to like what they started doing recently with like UAPs where I'm going, it's just weird how we've skipped that. You know what I mean? Like you have this one thing that is literally, it's, I mean, it's been talked about for ages now at least for my generation generation before it's just been there but no classical like nobody's from the government has officially been like we're gonna you know task a force to go into this and look into this and verify and say if it's real or not they just that skipped you know. over that that, okay, you that, know. that i know i mean um and, and i'll counter argue argue with you on this robbie um up until the release of the uh uh debriefing and, and release of confidential documents of UFOs and UAPs, the general public thought, oh, well, you know, uh, oh, uh, Uncle, Uncle Joe saw a UFO. He's crazier than hell. You know, he's, you know, he's, he's been off his rocker for years now, 2018, 2019, whenever the Pentagon and Navy released their footage and said, yeah, we, we've been studying these things since 47. Um, 
how much more are they keeping under tabs? So you got to think about the repercussions or ramifications of finding Bigfoot. So if there is a, let's say that tomorrow, well, you and I wake up in the morning, which I, I'll be up at 2.30 in the morning. Um, hope to take a nap. But anyway, uh, you and I wake up tomorrow and I send you an email and says, say, Robbie, look at Fox News, CNN, whatever. And you pull up CNN, Fox News or whatever, and, and it says Bigfoot discovered. Okay. Un, undeniable proof. So back in 1993, the Oregon Lumber Company was a very prominent company for, um, for logging, and, and they were the number one producer of wood products in, in America, North America. They had leased a tract of land out in uh, Northern California, Washington, and Oregon. And one day they came across an owl roughly the size of this soda bottle. They went in the dig and released their, that they found this owl. At the time, the Oregon Lumber Company was billions of dollars. Uh, they, they, they were estimated to be in the billions, not millions, but billions with a B. And less than three days, the Oregon Lumber Company went bankrupt. 25,000 jobs were lost overnight, all because of an eight-inch owl. The spotted owl was discovered living right there. And they didn't know, they, they had to shut down their tract of land because it was a, it was their habitat, it was their environment. Now, put, you in, put it in perspective. An eight-inch owl shut down a billion-dollar lumber company. What would an eight-foot-tall primate do? Worldwide, overnight, all logging, mining, infrastructure would cease until they got a good feed on where these things primarily lived at. They would automatically go into a protected species category. We're talking about global economic uh, pasture. So the government, now a, lot, a lot of people don't know about me, and I've, I've started talking about it a little bit more recently, but I, I kind of work the government. I don't work like in CIA or I work for a state government. I don't, I don't, I'm not that privileged. But I can say that the government does take sightings and counters into account. And they do seriously look into them. Um, there have been reports since when Mount St. Helens blow. Uh, back in the 80s, when when I can't think right now, when when Mount St. Helens blew, there's reports saying that there were government helicopters flying out very large hair-covered animals that they had tranquilized to get out of there. And even after Mount St. Helens blew, they went in there and were pulling these things out. Um, back in 2018, when the wildfires hit California, the worst wildfire to ever 
every rage happened. Today, now, there, there are reports coming out that people are saying they saw firefighters um, nursing these eight, eight to 10 foot tall beings burned, singed really bad, and government helicopters coming in and flying them out. Do I believe that these, that the government has these? I, 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 um, I'm not not I'm not too naive to say that the government would would tell us if they did because they went from, from you know 1947 to three years ago before they said yeah well we we've been we've been looking into UFOs for a while. Um, I don't trust the government. If the Smithsonian can lie to me about giants, I'm pretty sure. Like, there's the giant Smithsonian scandal, basically about giant you, bones that they found. You, you know where the giant bones were found, don't you? No, I don't. Right here, right here in Kentucky. Oh, wait. She's saying the giant bones are just getting mistaken for a species of giant when it's really they're talking about the Bigfoot. Could be. They found these these giant skeletons in the sand caves down down in western Kentucky, and there were even giant bones found here in eastern Kentucky. The Smithsonian lost them. They didn't think they were significant enough to keep. Uh, well, that was my point earlier about the whole film and doing a government investigation like that. I know of. I'm not trying to debate or anything. I'm just saying. The general public it doesn't hear about this. The media doesn't, at least that we don't see it. You know, a lot of us are very new to besides that video. And it just, if you said it was like a cover up, if it was something that was being hidden because it was a dark part of our history or it was something that could influence maybe business transactions or people would lose money, I 100% believe that because that's every single thing that we end up spending years trying to figure out. Area 51 was labeled a conspiracy, even though people were staring right at it and saying, it's right there, we see it. And then eventually after people tried to storm it, the government was like, we're either going to have to shoot some people or we're going to have to tell them it's real. So you know, that it took us a while to get there, but now I think more people are skeptical about, you know, a lot of these things in history now, because like, what do we know? I mean, I've seen Native American, you know, drawings of these giant things. And I'm like, okay, well, there's something there, whether it's still alive, I, I, I couldn't tell you, but if oh, we're, that's what I'm saying is like, there's this whole turnaround of where we're starting to realize that a lot of things are being covered up in the, I guess it would be the aspect of big business. And that's kind of a dangerous thing because right now you have people confused and these are why these, uh, like that video is so popular still today. It's why other videos are still popular that go on this. They label it as conspiracy. So no one wants to look into it. And it's not that at all. Well, you know, you take, uh, I hate conspiracies. I really do. Uh, conspiracy theories, uh, theorists, the diehard ones. Um, that, the JFK that, shit's real. I'm letting you know that the JFK stuff. The real. JFK <laughs> shit, shit is is very real. Um, and it's so funny if you stand in Neely Plaza in Dallas, and they got an X. You know, they got an X drawn on. I mean, it's kind of kind of odd that they would draw the X there where JFK had his brains blew out at. If you stand there and look, you can't see the book, the book depository from that X. You can't do it. And uh, I mean, the magic bullet and all that stuff. I mean, you know, UFOs. Um, I go back uh, a few months ago. Let's see, was it Jimmy Kimmel or Stephen Colbert? One of them had, uh, you know, former President Bill Clinton 
as a guest. And I, yeah, it was a late night talk show and it was, you know, it's mainly for laughs and everything, but you know, they got, they bared down on him. They said, okay, UFOs, what do you know? And he said, you know, in eight years that he was in, he said the presidency, he said, I tried every way in the world to get the Roswell story out of it. And they never would tell me. The president of the United States said they wouldn't tell me what actually went down. Um, and it, there's truth in everything. And I get that. Every legend, every folklore, there, every everything you've ever heard, there's truth in it. Now, it might just be 1%, but you know, for the most part, it's a pretty good percentage. The hairy man that you're talking about with, with Native Americans, um, they, they knew how to draw a human. They knew how to draw themselves. And they, that, that's very, you know, prominent. They, they draw themselves. They draw what they, what they saw. But every now and then you'll come across one, like you said, cave drawings of these larger human-like beings covered in hair and they got the lines drawn on um for hair the native americans they they talked about you know there's 547 native american tribes 547 every single one of them have their own variation of bigfoot sasquatch uh so there's got to be some truth in it. It can't be just a campfire story to keep the keep the youngins out of the out uh, from running away from camp. Um, Teddy Roosevelt, Daniel Boone, uh, Leif Erikson talked about it. Even Christopher Columbus talked about a a red haired race of giants that they come across. Um, they throw rocks at them. They were afraid to afraid to go on shore. Um, like I said earlier, every continent on, on, in the world has had that, you know, their own version of Bigfoot. The Russian government is probably, you know, I don't, Russia is Russia, but the Russian government is probably one of the only openly um, open governments to talk about their theories and investigations, research into the Yeti, the uh, the honesty. They have a, uh, they have a special sector devoted to studying and researching the honesty, which is the Russian version of Bigfoot, the Yeti, the Russian Yeti. And, you know, even with uh, accounts like the Yalvov Pass and in, in, uh, Russia near the Siberian border, you know, there were seven or eight people died there. The, the, the circumstances surrounding their deaths were were, were, were mur murky at best. Um, they they cut their ways out of their tents to get away from something. Um, there were pictures taken. In one journal, and this is factual information, in one journal that they found that was written on, on this excursion, I mean, when they translated it, jaws dropped because it said, the Yeti exists. And, you know, were, were they attacked by one of these creatures? I, I wasn't there. I, that's my answer to everything when people ask me, you know, well, was this this? Was it that? I don't know. I wasn't there. I believe something happened. Um, it's like Roger and Bob. Roger, Roger Patterson died many years ago. And Bob Gimlin is the living sole survivor of 
the incident on Bluff Creek. And I've sat right right face to face with Bob. I know the man. I've sat right there with him and heard the story come out of his mouth to see his eyes, to see his actions and, and everything. He's 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 telling the truth. Um, you know, I'm telling the truth. Whether people believe me or not is I don't give a shit anymore. I really don't. I used to. I used to think about, you know, I used to stay up all night and worry about, you know, well, somebody called me a liar. Somebody said this. Somebody said that. I don't worry about that anymore. I sleep, you know, I sleep like a baby now. I don't really care. Uh, I know what I saw. Um, The last three encounters, I had witnesses with me. Um, The last uh, visual encounter I had with these creatures, we got surrounded. And I had two people that I cared about greatly with me at the time. And it could have turned out very, very bad very quickly. And you and I would have never been having this conversation. But it didn't, and now here we are. Um, The thing about it is, though, the fact of the matter is, 250,000 reports, it's just reported over over the course of 100 years, uh, all over the world, 250,000 people can't make up the same lie. They cannot have the same delusional whatever. They can't do it. They, they, it's impossible. That is, I, I, I hate the word impossible, but that is impossible. That's like you and I, Robbie. You and I can sit, you and I can sit here in this room and we can come up with a lie. Okay, Robbie, you, we were walking down the street where I live at and a blue 1967 Camaro rolled up on us playing Led Zeppelin's uh, Stairway to Hell. I don't know. Okay. The Camaro was blue, Stairway to Heaven. And we sit and rehearse that lie. Now we go into separate rooms and somebody says, Hey, Robbie, what'd you see today? I'll guarantee, I'll bet you thousand dollars cash money something though something that we practiced will go skew you'll say well uh, um, the, uh, the the Camaro was blue it rolled up on us and they were playing uh, Led Zeppelin's uh, uh, immigrant song something's always going to get kind of mixed when people lie so you think about it like this 250,000 reported sightings that's just reported that's not all of them you can't be making that same lie up over and over and over again I've seen people when they tell their encounter stories I've seen people shake and and, and break down crying um, it scared them so bad me I was I was one of those at one time um, you have to believe these people that come forth with that. It's not about fame. It's not about fortune. God knows there's no fortune in this at all. Um, I've spent more money than I'll ever make back in search of answers. But, you know, you think about what people know. Well, think about it like this. You know, humans, for the most part, um, yeah, they, they live their lives, you know, free um, bankers. They they go to work, they come home, they normal jobs every single day. 
humans are dangerous, panicky, volatile animals, and you and I both know that. The person, on the other hand, on an individual level, very varies from individual to individual. You know, 1,500 years ago, we knew that the Earth was flat, or the Earth was the center of the universe. We knew it. No doubt about it. Even the scholars of, of 1,500 years ago knew that we were the center of this universe, that the sun, the moon, the planets, the stars, everything revolved around us. 500 years ago, we knew for a fact that the Earth was flat. 20 years ago, I knew there was no such thing as a Bigfoot. You know, imagine what we as a race, as a species, will know tomorrow. We've been proven wrong on every theory we've ever, ever come up with. Um, but like I said, you know, with Bigfoot, humans are dangerous, panicky animals, and, and we, we would rather catch something, uh, put it on display for all to see. And, you know, unfortunately, in order to classify these creatures and get a, 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 uh, a DNA, 100% DNA on them, there's got to be a body eventually. Now, for me, I'm not, uh, unless my life was in danger, somebody I cared about was in danger, I wouldn't pull the trigger. Um, if, if that would be the case with me, if I was given the opportunity, if I was given the job, the task to kill one of these creatures, I'd never be proven. I wouldn't do it. Can I ask why you think a body hasn't been found yet? Well, you know, bodies are, true. Lord have mercy, yeah. There's just so much territory, uh, and and that's the running that's the running question that we get. Um, Daniel Benoit and I were talking about this just the other night. Um, Daniel is uh, over the uh, ECBRO in Virginia, uh, East Coast Bigfoot Research Organization, and and we have a group chat that goes on between us and Squatch Watchers in North Carolina, and we get in these little debates and discussions all the time, and you know we all we all say the same things. Um, and I'll use this as an example. Eastern Kentucky, here where I live at, is the black bear capital of the world. There's more black bear here than people. You'll never see a dead black bear unless it gets hit on the on the highway um, or somebody kills one. You won't go out looking for a dead black bear and find it. These creatures, if they are as intelligent as we think they are, they either go into cave systems and die and, you know, seclude themselves or they are taken there after they die or they are buried. Um, you know, I use Kentucky as a great example because we have cave systems, but we also have coal mines. And, um, you know, these abandoned coal mines, nobody ever goes, never, nobody ever goes in them. All you got to do is find a uh, shaft. You know, these creatures might know where, you know, one of these outcroppings are. Go out, dig it up throw the body in and bury it. We're dealing with a very intelligent species. So that is very probable that that implausible that that's what exactly what happened. Uh, I could go really weird with you and say, maybe they don't die. <laughs> um, well, that's what my question was going to be was how long was their lifespan? I didn't know. 
obviously it's probably not going to be comparable to a human life, but I mean, if, if the number of occurrences are going up, just that's a variable as well too. I mean, people always use the example, it's because the trees are so thick and they don't really, they're not known to be, I guess, walking around all over the place. Like they don't want to be seen. And that's usually what I hear when I talk to someone about it. I mean, it makes sense, but it's just like, I would be more apt to, like, I definitely believe you. It's just, I'm more apt to believe that if there's a body, the government's going to do their best to try and make sure that somebody's making sure it's not known to the public. I mean, if I Google Bigfoot researchers, there's all these conferences and all these things that I'm now learning about. And I never hear a single word of it on the news. And now I'm starting to be like, okay, well, this is not like just one person shouting from a rooftop. This is a lot of people that are doing this type of thing. And you start realizing why isn't the media reporting on it, where I start smelling that, that, you know, that wine glass of fuckery. So I'm like, okay, it's definitely the media is doing something here that why aren't they reporting on that? And when you do see a show on it, they make it really Hollywood and they make it not, I mean, you can say, you know, X-Files is an interesting show. I've had guests from X-Files on the show and I've told them outright, they Hollywood it up and it really, it's fun, but it's not like, I would like to see the real stuff. You know, don't, don't BS me like a paranormal show does show me the realness. That's, you know, that's like with these woods are haunted on travel channel. We, we were on it and you know, it took, uh, they flew us up to Philadelphia. Uh, we filmed uh, over the weekend. And, you know, when it came out two years later, they, they TV'd it up. They drama it, it up. And, you know, I tell people all the time, 95% of that show happened, 5% of it happened, but it was kind of amped up for TV. Um, and they made us look like a bunch of cowardly fools, um, especially one person that was with me, my, girl, my girlfriend at the time, Gwen um, Guthrie. They made her look like a complete and total wreck, like she was she was she was terrified. If anybody was put together that day that night, it was it was her. She was she was calm, cool, and collected the whole time. I only got nervous because I put her and our friend Kenny in immediate danger, in imminent danger. It was it was just a scary moment. Uh, and if something would have happened to them, I would have never been able to live with myself. But you know, you talk about the body and you talk about the news and all that stuff, and then I, I spoke at this conference back in June up in Virginia, and one of the questions afterwards was, what would you do if you come across a dead Bigfoot? Uh, so, okay, put this scenario in, which we're hypothetically speaking. So, you know, anything that's said right here is purely hypothetical. I'm out walking one day in the woods, and I come across a dead body of a Bigfoot. Okay. Pick up the phone. Call the news. Call the news station. What do I say, Bigfoot? Say, oh, my name is Michael Wayne Cook. My GPS coordinates are this. I just killed my wife and two kids. Here's where I'm at. Come and get me. News is going to call the police. Probably SWAT team and everything is going to storm in. When they show up, I'm going to be sitting there with a stop of dead Bigfoot body playing on my phone. They're going to say, where's your wife and kids? Well, number one, I'm not married, and I only have one kid, and he's in Paris, Kentucky right now. Well, why are we here? This. By then, it's already out. It's already out there. So, you know, it's a very dark thing to do when it comes to that, but ultimately, that's what you'd have to do. Um, you know, theories of Bigfoot, 
like I said, maybe they don't die. If we're if they are a primate, then they have a lifespan of 50 to 80 years. I forget. Like one of the oldest living gorillas was like 60. And you know, humans, we we have pretty we have pretty good longevity. Uh we are not species meant to live a hundred years. We're not. You think about everything that goes wrong after about 80. You start getting a little bit more feeble. You start getting weaker and all that stuff. And mind, body, and soul. Um, my grandma, good example. She was right at 90 years old when she passed in 2020. She didn't know who I was for seven years. She laid in a bed for the last five years of her life. I mean, sad stuff. But gorillas in the, in the wild, they live 30, 35, 40 years. Chimpanzees, about the same. Captivity, you know, breakfast, lunch, and dinner, nice warm place to sleep. Unless they, unless some kid falls off the balcony and all that, they normally live, uh, they live a good long lifespan, uh, 50, 60 years. Um, you know, but like I said, we're not a species meant to last five, five and a half million people a week get explosive or uh, get dysentery. They get diarrhea and vomiting. Uh, from Wendy's, five and a half million people a week and are hospitalized. We're not a species meant to last. And, you know, in, in the last two years of people, you put this in real big perspective. We had a virus, something on a microscopic level that took out a quarter of the population on Earth. And, um, you know, I don't know. Bigfoot, how long do they live? Do they even die? I don't know. If they do die, then the Patterson-Gimlin Bigfoot would probably be dead by now. Uh, the one I saw would be close to middle-aged or whatever back in 2002. Um, yeah. I don't know. Like that's you know, I'm not I'm not one of these people that's gonna sit and try to bullshit you the whole whole time and say, well, I know this for a fact. No, I'm not I'm not ashamed to say I don't know. I don't know. Um, when it comes to the cave systems do you think it's just possible that they could have just adapted to be underground a lot more than being up on land during the day or i mean do they come out more at night okay yeah absolutely here in kentucky you know we have cave systems all over the place the sand caves the slimestone caves gosh i truly believe they use those cave systems as means of traveling and and you know getting from point a to point b um they probably live there most of the time um you know, we come across tree structures and all that shit in the woods, but I don't think they're they're meant for, you know, living. You know, if you ever see a tree structure, you know, it's not a roof. It's just a stack of trees that are placed in a certain uh, certain pattern that's not natural. Um, yeah, they, they're primarily not um, uh, nocturnal creatures. I mean. Um, daytime sightings. I believe that's just whenever something they they're traveling or something like that, and they see them. Um, a lot of road crossing sightings at night. And you think about it, you know, my my pickup truck has the LED headlights on, and I can see out way out through there. But you know, you take older um, older headlight bulbs. They, you know, you got what 150, 200 feet, maybe. 
of uh, uh, visibility with those on. So, you know, if something crosses in front of you, 250, 300 feet in front of you, you're not going to see it. Um, Bigfoot, you know, they. Uh, well, what gives you hope to speak at those conferences still? Like, it's been a long time, but do you find like the public's like, whenever I have friends who do JFK conferences, they run them at, like the sixth floor museum and things of that sort. And it's what keeps them like people generally are still interested. They want to know and they believe that the official story isn't real, that this there's something there. So is it the same thing with the Bigfoot conferences? Do you find people that are generally there looking just to actually want to know more about this type of thing? Like they don't just look at it like a fun, you know, amusement park thing. Well, uh, it's, it's weird. Like conferences, conference wise, you know, about 50, 50, they, they come there. There's a lot of enthusiasts. Um, this last one I had was a few weeks ago. It was a festival. Uh, I was hired to be, uh, to appear there. And I hate the word celebrity. I'm not a celebrity. I'm, I'm, I'm just a normal dude as a weird hobby. But I've been on TV, so they they think that that's you know automatically celebrity. I had a line backed up, probably three hundred feet uh, from my booth. People walking up, talking to me and stuff, taking pictures and all that. And that's weird for me. It's it's awkward. But I think there's a lot of enthusiasts that want to come, and and it's it's really truly a means of bonding with other like-minded individuals. The collective. And I wrote this out earlier because I'm I'm actually putting on a conference next year, the first ever annual Kentucky Bigfoot conference. And you know, a collective of like-minded, a lot a collective of like-minded individuals gathering in the same place at the same time to discuss theories and experiences and have fun. And you know, for most of us, you know, Taylor Cook, Tate Fulbright, uh, David Martin, um they're with the Squatch Watchers of North Carolina, Daniel Benoit from the ECBRO, and you know myself. We we live so far apart from each other. We're best friends, and we only get to see each other at these things. And you know, as there's a there's a rule. If you have Daniel and I and, and Squatch Watchers at the same conference, you have to set us together. We we don't we don't fare well with others. We don't play well with with outsiders. Uh, we like to be together. We like to sit in the same area together. Uh, we do everything together at the conferences. We go eat and all that stuff. But you have diehard believers that come out and they want to hear our stories. They want to hear our research. Um, I pack, you know, I'm bragging about it. I pack a house. When I do a presentation, I pack a house. My presentation is called the Bigfoot Experience. And I go through it's pretty much the blueprints behind the book I'm writing. Uh, I go through the history and, and encounter stories and, and research and data and the repercussions and ramifications of finding Bigfoot and uh, where we are going as a research unit as, and, and as a whole. Um, and like I said, I never try to convince anybody of it, but I do lay out actual information and you can, you can draw your conclusion at the end. Um, but as far as conferences and stuff go, it's it's something for people like us to do. I mean, yeah, I guess it kind of you kind of could, in a way, say it's like a carnival. I mean, because it's given given 
like-minded people, something to do. We have fun. Uh, when I come home from a conference, I don't talk for three days, not because I don't want to, because I can't. I have, uh, I lose my voice. Um, but, you know, for me, I also run a business, too. I run a, I run a barbecue sauce business. I think that's how you got a hold of me. You, you searched through my, uh, you emailed me through my Sasquatch site um, or my email through it. Um, you know, and Sasquatch, you know, I've been making this barbecue sauce for like 10 years and just came public with it this past year. And it's just taken off. And, and you know, I can credit the Bigfoot. I can credit my grandmother. I can credit my aunts um, and all the barbecue legends from years ago because I learned how to do this through them. And Sasquatch is just a good play on words with what that what that is. I was hoping it wasn't just like a Roswell UFO McDonald's thing where Mick the McDonald's and Roswell is a UFO because the, they're they're playing off the UFO incident. But I'm glad you do you actually do research on it. I was hoping that's what I when I reached out, I was like, I hope he's doing research on this thing and not just doing it for the sauce. But yeah, it came I listened to your coast to coast and then um talking to you now as well too i mean like i said when i mentioned the conference thing i was just making sure people weren't showing up as like it's going to be a joking thing or something that i want like actual research being done there is the important part like i get the laughs between friends and all that but i generally think there's an interest in it yeah there are i had an incident uh, a few years ago and i'm a very um i'm a very docile person i'm very uh soft-spoken i, I don't I get mad, but I don't show it often. Um, and I had a heckler. And he spent $25 of his own money to come in and make fun of us speakers and people that were were, were there to because they believe in Bigfoot. And I was the last speaker that I was headlining that, that particular conference. And the whole day, I watched this asshole just blurred out words. I mean, he said he was invested. He wanted to do it. He wanted to be there for that reason. And some people, you know, are just born dickheads. And um, I said, you know what? I'm, I'm going to get his ass when I get up there. So when I got up there, I started talking. And, you know, I said, uh, I'll do this little crowd fluffing thing where, you know, my name's Michael Cook. And Welcome to the Bigfoot experience. And a few people clap their hands and I'll say, no, hold up. We got to do this all over again. You know, I want everybody to scream. I want people to hear us in the next town over when I say this. Hello, my name is Michael Wayne Cook and I am uh, a Bigfoot researcher. And welcome to the Bigfoot experience. A whole house raises up and all this stuff. It's a good time, fun. I get them riled up. This one dickhead sitting out there. Everything, everything that I would say, Robbie, he would have something to say. And he was interrupting me throughout my presentation. And finally, I, I broke, and it's character. Uh, you break character because you're having to put this character on for people and entertain them. And I said, uh, all right, stop. Everybody stop. All right, this guy right here. And uh, I walked over to him, I said, and I took the microphone with me and I sat down, seat in front of him. And I said, what's your problem, dude? What is your belief system? He comes out with this big long thing, and I and I handed him the microphone. And I said, "I want you to go up there, and I'll, the the space bar on my laptop will click from uh, slide to slide on my presentation. I'm gonna sit right here, and you go up there and do that. And you you give me your research. You you talk about you. In fact, I quit right now. 
I am going to sit here and listen to you since you've decided to sit here all day and laugh and cut up and joke about my friends and the others here. I'm going to sit here and let you be in the spotlight like, like you've wanted to. And he said, uh, and he was, he had the microphone, you know, kind of down, but you still hear him on the microphone. He said, well, I don't, I don't know what, I don't know what I'm talking about. And I grabbed the microphone away from him. And I said, all right, now shut the fuck up and let me do my presentation. And I went back up there. Goddamn right. I went back up there. I done it. And I got done. I went over to my booth and sat down. He comes over to me. He goes, man, you know, that was, I said, I'll listen. If I wasn't in a different state, I would take you outside right now and I would whoop your ass right now. I said, this is, this is uncalled for. This is immature. You're 40, 50, whatever, how age you are, how old you are. You're, you're, you're a man of a certain age. Surely to God, you didn't wake up this morning and say, I'm going to go spend 25, 30 bucks on a ticket so I can make fun of a bunch of people. I said, that's the most immature bullshit I've ever heard in my life. And you're not welcome here. I said, it's people like you that make fun of us. And then something happens to you. And then we all sit back and look at you and say, yeah, well, we told you so. I mean, that's what it is. You know, we told you they were out there. Um, and, you know, that's another thing. You get nitpicked and uh, nitpicked and picked on every single day of your life. Family members of mine, they, they do it to me. They roll their eyes at me. Friends that I've had for, you know, 40 years, they, they do it to me. And, you know, I, I kind of let everything grow off my shoulder. But that one particular day, man, he just, I, I could feel it building. And, and I would never lash out at somebody like that because they're ignorant. But he would, he don't know how close he was to eating a microphone. Like I, and, 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 and the, the wrong way. Because I was getting ready to make him eat it with his ass. I was going to shove that microphone up his ass and be done with it. But he, you know, it's so funny. After, after I had that conversation with this guy. You fast forward this past June, I walk up to do my presentation, and um, I look out in the audience, and there he is. And I said, hold on a minute, folks. And I walked over. I said, been awful quiet today, pal. He said, well, I'm, I've opened my mind and shut my mouth. And I said, that's the smartest thing you could ever do. And he sat right there the whole time, never made a peep. And it was it was good time. It was good time. Um, but it's people like that, you know. Um, well, that was this, like one of my hesitations for always talking about a subject like this or reaching out to someone that studies cryptozoology or something like that. Because you get, you don't know me, and it's kind of like a weird setup I have for my show, which is like just we haven't met before, but let's have a conversation. I mean, it works out pretty well, but it's it, you get skeptical. Like, what is this person going to think? Is this person going to do this? And like, no, I'm just generally interested in your perspective, everything you've done. I'm here to have a conversation with you. I couldn't give a fuck about anybody that's listening, giving a shit about their comments or anything like that. It's just tell me what you've seen so I can, you know, sort it out in my own head. And I believe, you know, when I'm in the conversations like this and we talk about subjects, I like to talk about this type of stuff because dude there's a record of it there's a historical record of it so like don't just say it's like one person that's having a fantasy daydream making a sci-fi series it's not that at all it's a lot of people that have been talking about this for a very long time but you know people only want to believe what they see on television or what they see on a news station i'm like well sometimes the news isn't going to actually tell you the news they're just going to tell you hey here's this ad for this pharmaceutical company and then they go to the next thing 
Well, you know, TV, and I create, I created Finding Bigfoot, Animal Planet's Finding Bigfoot. For the newer generation of Bigfooters out there, the Bigfoot researchers and enthusiasts, you know, 10 years ago, you know, I, I wouldn't think society was more, was as accepting as it is now. You know, more people acknowledge the possibility, and that's, that's the thing, acknowledging the possibility that these things could exist, not do exist, but could exist. And that's all I ask for people. I say, you know, I'm not trying to convince you to believe in them. I'm just wanting you to acknowledge the possibility that they could, you know, in fact exist. And, um, you know, finding Bigfoot helped a lot of people out with coming out of uh, what we call the coming out of the woods and telling our story. Um, Expedition Bigfoot on, on Travel Channel. That's, a, you know, it shows normal people with normal jobs doing this. And that's what we are. We are normal people with normal jobs. You know, you find me every single day, Monday through Friday at, the, at, at our local courthouse. Um, normal people. That's like this guy came to my job the other day and, you know, we were talking and I, I do the do the thing where I take my glasses off. And it's like the Clark, Clark Kent Superman deal because on TV shows I've been on, they, they I, I normally am like I am right now, don't have glasses on. And, but when I put his glasses on, man, I turn, I, you know, I turn into a different person. I took my glasses off. He said, man, I know you. I just watched you on Travel Channel the other night. Said, That's great, man. Let's take care of this business and we'll talk about it. You know, I get, I get paid, I get paid to do this job, man. So, you know, let me, let me take care of my job first and we'll talk about it. But, um, yeah, relationships have been completely and totally ruined because of it. Uh, normally, I wait two or three dates before I bring out the Bigfoot and say, hey, you know, what do you do for fun? Oh, well. <laughs> uh, you know, it's easier to say I stalk something. I mean, it really is. Well, I'm a stalker. I stalk Bigfoot. Um, I normally say for about third dates now, but, you know, the worst thing anybody can do to me is call me a liar. And that's the worst thing that anybody can do to me. And there's this particular dude that's in the Bigfoot community. Um, he has a little little YouTube show and stuff. And his, his, his whole purpose of existing is to make fun of us. And, you know, he's, he, he knows better. Um, there's a thin line between, you know, poking fun at your buddy and making fun of making fun of your buddy and he crosses those lines on a daily basis with people and um you know it's people like him they they just stand back when some and i i hate to bring it up like this but when somebody you know does the ultimate you know thing where they where they kill themselves and then suicide it's people like him that say oh i don't he seemed like a pretty happy person he was just you know i don't know why anybody would do that because people like you they're constantly digging into their soul and bringing out everything that, that they don't want to be brung out. And, you know, bullying is the number is one of the number one causes of, of suicide, especially in younger individuals. I just want to clarify for anybody listening that he's not talking about me. I'm not doing that. You're just using. But I do want to clarify something. If you do have any thoughts like that or anything, there's people out there that do, that will listen to you. And uh, I would rather talk to you on the phone or or face to face 
for hours on end and let you tell me your problems than have to go to your funeral. I don't like going to funerals. If I get if I die under weird circumstances, you blame the government because it's hundred percent that I'm digging into the JFK topic so deep. I'm letting everybody know my brakes are perfectly fine. I'm a happy individual right now. Um, but, but JFK, and you know, I'll I'll put you on somebody. I'll send you an email here in a little bit when we get off this. But I I got a really good friend, one of my best friends. He's in Utah right now doing a conference. But uh, one of my really good friends, he's he's JFK nut. He'd be good to have on the show. What's his um, name? What's his name? His his name is Ed Brown. He has a YouTube show called Sit Down with Ed Brown. It's, it sounds familiar. I've tried to talk to because I'm making a. I haven't really fully announced it yet but i'm making a jfk film right now and it's the first time you'll ever see all these researchers who do not like each other who just they've all been on my show separately but i and even if there's some of them are listening to this i, I don't know if they will be but um they don't know that these people are in there and they're I'm probably going to lose some relationships once the film comes out but i thought it was a everyone agrees on the same topic but it's probably like the bigfoot community where there's just small little things that people disagree on and those things can be like the the biggest issues sometimes you know where you can get everybody in sitting talking but turns into an argument once they get that to that one little disagreement well you know it's like bigfoot you know we we get into some hate especially if we do q a panels we get into some heated debates, man. And, you know, my buddies, God love them. I love them to death, but they know the buttons to push. And I'll be damned if they don't, they will get right in front of a thousand people, man. And they'll start pushing them buttons. And like, there's a video somewhere. I'd have to find it. But you can see me and my buddy sitting beside of me. He's talking and every single thing he says, you can see like my blood pressure. You can literally see it just build and all of a sudden my top of my head blows off and say, okay you gotta stop telling people this <laughs> and i just flip out on it but um you know we do friendly debates and friendly arguments and you know uh i've slapped people i've, I've open hand slapped them right on stage before in front of a bunch of people and tell them to shut up um but you know that's the joy of it too it's it's fun to argue with people i love arguing with people i really do i and especially friends that i know that we can sit down and have a beer afterwards with uh now jackass is like the one in virginia a few years ago you know i, I won't i'll shut him down and you know i think i, I left one thing out i told him i said if it's a battle of wits man you came severely unprepared i said i'll outsmart you every every single word you say i'll outsmart you um so don't don't try to don't try to debate me. Well, and I'm about to say, where can uh, people find your research that's in your book? You haven't even promoted your book title yet. Uh, Bigfoot Out of the Woods by Michael W. Cook, and um, there's a special forward that's going to be on it. Uh, but, but it's pretty cool. I ain't gonna lie. I, I can't say who it is yet. It's it'll be on the front from the book whenever. But this person. Uh, was gracious enough to write it forward and i've read it and it's, it's very nice and very well, well written um so the bigfoot out of the woods will be out i'm saying next summer but it's going to be sooner than that because you know i've got three or four interviews left to do and that's going to be it and then i just got to put them in there and kind of tweak everything but then i've got another book coming out called the cryptic cookbook uh the barbecue sauce deal but um 
after that, I've already started doing the preliminary work for the next book, which would be UFOs, Out of the Skies, and so forth and so on, you know, and Lake Monsters, Out of the Water, and all that stuff. It's, it's the Out of out of this world series is what I'm, what I'm starting. I like um, your thinking out of, I like that. I like that. Yeah. So we're bringing it all out there to, for society and people to read, but, um, my research, you can find it on cook cryptid research on Facebook. Um, just don't take out of the blank. That's my shit. Out of the blank. That should be a good one. Uh, no, <laughs> but, um, the, uh, the cook cryptid research is on Facebook. Uh, I don't post a whole lot on there anymore. I, I'm where I'm working on this book and stuff. I'm just, I'm really focused on it. Um, I am in a currently involved in a um, in a project. It's called Project Quantum Bridge, uh, and we're we're. I can't say a whole lot about it, but it's taking place right here where I live at, and it's uh, several team collaboration, uh, paranormal researchers, Bigfoot researchers, myself, and a couple others. Um, and, and, and we, we're starting to connect some dots. That's going to be pretty cool to bring out later. Um, also working on a couple of films with paranormal group here in Harlan, Kentucky. Um, the first one's going to be, um, shadow men. We, we are, I, I got invited to do this, uh, to join this, this crew as a collab collaboration and stuff. And they've shown me video, uh, uh, I mean, uh, to me, I, I've never really been what you say a ghost hunter. I've always kind of been interested, but um, I choose to believe that we we there's something after this, and we don't we don't not everybody stays down here when it's said and done. But they show me some security footage that cannot be altered in any way, shape, or form, and it's pretty compelling. Um, the um, I'm also involved in a new. Bigfoot documentary. Uh, it's going to be pretty big. I, in my in my opinion, it's going to be one of the most significant Bigfoot documentaries to ever been produced. And it's called "I Believe in Bigfoot," and um, it'll be out next year. Um, you can always catch me on Travel Channel. These Woods Are Haunted, season two, episode six. It plays on uh, it uh, uh, reruns. They play that constantly. I'm filming a new. I'm filming something in November that I can't really discuss, but it's pretty cool. Uh, it'll be out on Travel or History One. In um, Sawsquatch.com, uh, there's something on the grill. The uh, barbecue sauce that's making its way across America. I'm pretty proud of it. Got four flavors out right now to be purchased: um, black cherry bourbon, apple bourbon, peach bourbon, and what I affectionately call the boss sauce which is uh, straight bourbon. And then I have two new flavors coming out next month in October that's going to be unveiled at the ECBRO Virginia Big, or Virginia Squatch Fest on October 8th in Weir's Cave, Virginia. Um, I will be a special guest at Scream Fest in Athens, Tennessee on October 1st. Then October 8th, I'll be at the Virginia Squatch Fest in Weir's Cave, and then October 15th, I'll be at the South Carolina Bigfoot Festival in Westminster, South Carolina, and I'll be doing two presentations that day, one in the morning, one in the afternoon, 
uh, bringing the Bigfoot experience. Daniel Benoit from the ECBRO will be at my, we'll, we'll be sharing a tent together. Uh, so everybody come by and see us there. Um, grab some barbecue sauce. I have a few more things for sale, but uh, if you see me on Facebook, it's Michael W. Cook. Uh, it's just uh, me standing there with my arms crossed looking looking like the boss. But the, uh, yeah. Oh, uh, there's an important thing. I was going to forget about it, and I didn't. So next October, the first ever annual Kentucky Bigfoot Conference will uh, will happen here in Harlan, Kentucky, at the Harlan County uh, Convention Center. And we will be bringing uh, six to seven speakers, um, experts on their own, um, very knowledgeable people in the Bigfoot community, and uh, maybe a couple people you've seen here and there on TV or something. But that'll be going on. Tentatively, we're looking at October the 21st. It's on Saturday. So that's the tentative date right now, but that could possibly change uh, here in just a couple of months. But that's a year and a half. I, well, 13 months away um you're gonna have to send me some of those links but I'll, I'll link everything in the description for you i will i will i'll send them to you um uh oh yeah the schedule of my appearances uh is on sasquatch.com it's s-o-s-s-s-q-u-a-t-c-h.com and if you just scroll down on the home page you'll see events and all that stuff and uh, the coast to coast stuff and uh, the next few events that I've got going on. I'm actually supposed to be going to Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, at the end of October. So that's the one I was forgetting about too. Um, that's going to be at Roscoe, Pennsylvania. Uh, we're doing a charity thing there. So um, Daniel Benoit and I. But if you know you don't care for me to plug them, you know the ECBRO Discovery Project of uh, Northern Virginia. Headed up by my best friend Daniel Benoit. He's a very good guy. He's a very knowledgeable researcher, wildlife researcher. He's had Bigfoot experiences. Um, him and I actually had a Class B experience together a few years ago. Um, then check out the Squatch Watchers on YouTube and on Facebook. Those guys, Toby, Taylor, Tate, and David, are, are really good friends of mine. Um, and they have a lot going on. They have their YouTube videos are just, just phenomenal for people. And I say this not making fun or anything. I'm just saying for people that don't know what they're doing with video editing and stuff, they are on top of the game. They really are. They're self-taught how to do this stuff. And they are very on top of the game and good guys to have on, on interviews and stuff. Um, and they will be, we, we normally all three, uh, Squatch Watchers, me and, and Daniel, we all we all kind of run together at these conferences and stuff. We where you see one, the others aren't far behind. Uh, trying to think if I got anything. No, I'm I'm done after that. I'm done okay. after that for the year. I I take the year the end of the year off from this stuff. I spend time with my kid and family and eat and fatten up for the winter. Well, Michael, look, I appreciate you giving me your time to do the podcast, man. I'm going to link all your links in the description. Um, it's been a pleasure chatting. Thanks for listening to this episode of Out of the Blank.